Good morning, Grace family. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. As I reflected even yesterday on the new year, I couldn't help but have a little deja vu. It was just this time last year we're bringing in 2021 and we're thankful that 2020 is gone because it was a hard year. And it's a little bit of deja vu because it seems like we've walked through a similar year this year with hardships, COVID, passing of loved ones. But I was reminded that it's through hard times, hard seasons of life, that we're more dependent on the Lord, that we look to His faithfulness more. And so, even as we look to 2022 not knowing what's ahead, let us remember that it's through the hard times that we draw closer to Him and to each other, and we pray for fruitful ministry for grace in the years to come. We're so excited Again, that Tim and his family is here with us, and I think the greatest days at Grace are ahead of us as we continue to seek to serve him faithfully. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Thad Franz, and I serve as one of the elders here at Grace, and thankful for that opportunity to serve in that way. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew 18, as we've already read this morning, And I want to ask the question, how do we define greatness? Greatness. The world sees greatness as someone of superiority, someone that's distinguished, someone that is the top of their craft, in a high position, better than others in maybe a certain activity or certain task. Who or what comes to mind when you think of greatness? All right, the big question is the debate of who defines all-time greatness on the hardwood, Michael Jordan or Larry Bird. Whether it was his fadeaway jump shot or the way that he led his team to championships or the passion for the game, both of these men proved to be great. Now, some of you young guns in the audience might put LeBron James as the GOAT, but you never watched Michael Jordan and Larry Bird play, so the debate is still at hand. Others of us might think of greatness, or those in our world might think of greatness as Mother Teresa, or might think of a certain event like being the first in space or the first on the moon as great. Greatness. Everyone is intrigued by the idea of greatness, and it is no different in our message today. The disciples are asking a similar question. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And we've been walking through the book of Matthew, and one of the running themes in our study of Matthew has been, what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? And so I think asking the question, what is greatness and how is greatness defined as a kingdom citizen is an appropriate question. We have come to Jesus' fourth teaching section 
And one of his most important, since he is addressing his disciples, he's addressing us, the church. And in the first verses of chapter 18, he starts out by reminding us what it means to be a child of the king and to how to care well for others in our body. And that takes all of us doing our part. So let's walk through these verses together. The first part of verse 1 says, At that time. Jesus and his disciples are walking to Capernaum. It's Jesus' headquarters of ministry. And in the book of Mark, it says that the disciples are having a conversation about who is the greatest. We learn more in the book of Luke that it's not just a conversation, it's an argument. And you have to wonder, is it an argument that some of the disciples are wondering why does certain disciples get to go up on the mountain with Jesus, as we saw in Matthew 17? Or is it maybe Jesus singling out Peter as the one who would lead the establishment of the church? But it begs the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus answers this question in Matthew 18. And if we hadn't already read the next several verses, and we knew the answer that Jesus would share... How would we answer this question honestly, Grace family? How would we answer the question of greatness? Maybe it would go something like this. The greatest in the kingdom is the most distinguished academic with the most publications. Or the one that has the greatest wealth or material possessions. The socialite with the most Facebook friends. The one who's reached the top of the corporate ladder the ideal family raising their kids to be something great in the future. But that's not how Jesus answers. He blows his disciples' minds, and maybe ours today, when he places a child in the midst of the circle. He says the greatest in the kingdom is a child. So my main idea for this morning as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew in chapter 18 is greatness in God's eyes is genuine believers who seek to be faithful in humility, holiness, and love. Greatness in God's eyes is genuine believers who seek to be faithful in humility, holiness, and love. See, Jesus destroys the world's idea of greatness being about pursuit, power, position, or the approval of people. And maybe the challenge for us today might be to stop comparing, competing, and instead see greatness as God sees it, is to be faithful. Over the next several minutes, I want us to ponder anew what it means to truly be a kingdom citizen and to be a child of the King, King Jesus, who has ushered in a kingdom that is way different than this world, an upside-down kingdom. And his message for us today is the same as it was the message back then. Repent, believe, and follow me. First, I want us to see as kingdom citizens, we are to become like children, 
Read back with me in verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We have to start with these first verses of chapter 18 to fully understand the rest of the chapter. As the disciples see this young child placed in the midst of them and hear Jesus say, if you receive this little one, you're receiving me, I wonder what is going through their minds. Are they frustrated? Are they angry? Are they a little bit confused or struggling to understand? See, this is still part of Jesus' discipleship course that he's taking his disciples through. He's teaching them what it means to be a kingdom citizen. Notice verse 3, Jesus answers their question by telling the disciples that they must turn, change, be transformed. Some scripture versions say even become converted and become like a child. To be in the kingdom, you and I must turn from ourselves and continue to turn to the Father. Not only in salvation, but our continued walk with the Lord. Jesus even says, if we don't become like children, we will not only not be great in the kingdom, we will not be in the kingdom at all. And so this is a very serious matter to consider, church family. This is the basic characteristics of what it means to be a Christ follower. A Christian, which means little Christ, is a genuine believer of Jesus. Jesus continues by further explaining what it means to become like a child by saying to humble oneself like a little child. This is the greatness in the eyes of the Lord. He's not talking about childishness, immaturity, We're talking about followers of Jesus that know that they have no resource in and of themselves, but truly trust fully in the graciousness of our Father who loves us and cares for us deeply. This type of humility is the idea of self-forgetfulness. Believing our status is empty without Christ fulfilling it. it. We would be remissed to not be reminded of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, for it's theirs that is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the ones that mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Brothers and sisters, does this describe you and me? Are you a child of the King? He is waiting in grace to receive those who will turn and place their full trust, dependence like a child in Jesus. Would there be one here today that in salvation needs to come to this beautiful Savior 
admitting your sin, believing in his death and resurrection, and humbly offering up your life as a sacrifice to the king? If you can make that decision, today is the day of salvation. And what a way to start out the new year. Lord, in prayer, I just ask right now, if there's one that needs to come to know you personally, by your Spirit, would you help them realize their desperate need for you? And that they would see that you are truly the Son of God, Jesus, and that you are the way, the only way to salvation. Would you have your way in people's hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to know more what it means to follow Jesus, and the Lord is stirring in your heart even this morning, our elders will be up front after the service, that they would love to talk more with you. Church family, what ways do we need to repent and turn from our pride back in humble submission to our King? Maybe it's our plans when we need to submit back to God knowing truly that He is the one in control and we are not. If it's not our plans, maybe it's our desire for position, possessions, approval of people that we need to repent of and instead be content and faithful right where God has you. Relinquishing these idols and fixing our eyes on the one who has the power and holds our plans so that we can love him and love others faithfully. Seek to be humble like a child. The next ten verses focus on being kingdom citizens that sincerely care for the little ones of our king. We're going to answer the question, how do we care for those in our flock? We're going to look at three different points. We should humbly receive kingdom citizens like we're receiving our king. That we're going to pursue holiness together, both personally and corporately. And then thirdly, love one another out of a humble, holy heart. And if we do these things, we're going to see greatness like God sees it. Genuine believers who seek to be faithful in humility, holiness, and love. Let's first look in verse 5 and 6 at humbly receiving kingdom citizens like we're receiving our king. Verse 5 says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. As we discuss these verses, we have to remember the first four verses of what it means to be a child. This is referring still to a disciple who is genuinely, humbly seeking to follow Jesus. And personally, I love how Jesus uses the child imagery as he speaks to us, his church, because this is the heightened love and care that we should have for each other, like that of a child. Verse 5, Jesus challenges his disciples to receive true believers as if they are receiving him. 
I think a great example for us as a church to think about this is how do we receive new converts, young believers, believers that might not look like us into our family? The little ones here that we see in verse 6 and verse 10 is referring to a believer that has no status. We might be excited about a person's conversion or immediate growth or or maybe even committing to us in membership, but do we have an attitude like we're receiving Jesus into our congregation, into our flock? How does our behavior need to be more humble-like, genuine, in order to accomplish this? How would this change the environment at Grace? I hear of others, as I've interacted with people at Grace, say that we're a welcoming church, a warm church, and others that doesn't feel that same demeanor, that doesn't feel that same way. Man, if we just had the heart of receiving someone like we're receiving Jesus, I think more would feel welcomed and warmed when they enter the place here at Grace. The idea of receiving here that we see in verse 5 is the idea of hospitality. It is easy to be hospitable to our friends or family or maybe someone that we host because we gain something. But what about being hospitable to something, someone that we have nothing to gain, that they have nothing to offer? To receive a humble disciple is to bring them into fellowship, to bring them into our family, to be sensitive to their needs, to be an encouragement to them to support them. This is easy for some of us in the body and maybe not so much for others, but we're all commanded to love like this. We see in verse 6 kind of the other side of the coin where Jesus talks about not receiving a true believer, to reject or offend or ignore a believer. Further, Jesus commands us here not to cause a young one to sin or stumble. To take it a step further, to cause someone to walk away from the faith. And we see the seriousness of this command by what Jesus says should happen to someone if we cause someone to sin or stumble. Death by drowning. I don't know about you, but that is the worst way to die. I have nightmares about drowning. But notice the description here. It is not just drowning. It is tying a big boulder to not your feet, not your ankles, but to your neck and taking you out to the depths of the sea and dropping you down in the middle of the sea. Do you get a sense of that description and what Jesus is saying, he's saying this is a dangerous matter to cause another church member to sin is serious and we'll all be held accountable. Grace family, when I think of verse 5 and verse 6, the challenge for us here is to see a culture of discipleship continue to grow and be shaped by genuine love here at Grace. We need to personally, each one of us, feel the weight of responsibility when it comes to caring for one another. 
many of the times when we think about the new believer, we think of our young ones or maybe students that are a part of our church that become members, grow in their pursuit of following the Lord. It was just several weeks ago that we heard testimonies of faith of people entering into our membership. We're going to hear several more this morning. And the question I have for us, and I, I ask myself as well, is who remembers those names? Who's been praying for them? Who in our body has come alongside them to disciple them and make sure that they're connected at grace? As an elder, you have my commitment along with the other elders to make sure that this happens, but it's not just leadership. It takes all of us to make sure that others are being received into this body like Jesus is to be received. All of us taking and doing our part. We need individuals that will do this work. And corporately, I am thankful for a church that is intentional about discipleship. I'm thankful for Barb and her team, Pastor Josh and Dan and the team that works with our youth. These are the young disciples that we're talking about, that are making professions of faith, that are walking through the waters of baptism, and that we are caring for them well. I'm thankful for the ABF and small group leaders that week in and week out are preparing faithfully to serve our genuine disciples within our church. I'm thankful for the many a times I walk through coffee shops and meeting places here in Cedarville, seeing our members meet together. I'm thankful for parents in this room that are meeting with other parents to understand practically how do we raise our kids in the honor and admonition of the Lord. And personally, I'm impacted by a family here that we get to do that with regularly and pray regularly for our kids. See, Grace family, this is a culture of discipleship that we all need to be a part of. And brothers and sisters, let us commit and recommit to how God views greatness by continuing to build on this type of foundation as we enter into 2022. We care well for our flock by humbly receiving kingdom citizens that receive the king, but we also pursue holiness together both personally and corporately. Let's look at verse 7 through 9. Jesus says, "'Woe to the world for temptations to sin.'" For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See, care and discipleship is receiving others like we receive Jesus, but care and discipleship is also protecting us from sin and the temptation of sin, not only ourselves, but each other. Church, we know that we live in a sin-infested world, dark and full of not only sin, but the temptation of sin. And brothers and sisters, we have to continue to fight for personal holiness. 
but also we have to fight for each other's holiness. This is what family does. Jesus addresses how we might fight for our own personal holiness here. This is an ideal way to make sure we are not leading others to stumble. Jesus uses extreme language in verse 8 and 9, not to actually start cutting off body parts, but to actually see the seriousness of our sin. It would be better to go limbless than to spend eternity in the lake of fire called hell. God wants us to take drastic measures to avoid sin and the pitfall that might lead us to sin. Again, not only our sin, but the sin of others. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the deeds of the body to death, you will live. What sin in your life, what sin in my life, continues to have a grip? You know that sin that we continue to repent of time and time again, asking for forgiveness. With God's help, we need to kill it. John Owens famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Based on this part of the passage, I want to discuss the question, how do we kill sin? First, I think we need to get to the root of the sin that is killing us, the sin weed in our life. Well, I use the word sin weed because I'm a rather green thumb when I'm not at the pharmacy or down at the office, and I love getting in and landscaping and taking care of my yard, and early spring, it never fails. I'm ready to put down fertilizer and weed killer, but as much as I prepare and add to my yard, it never fails. Springtime, there's green grass, but there's a lot of dandelions as well. So I have to take my faithful spear shovel and start digging up dandelions. And if you're a green thumb yourself, you know one of the worst feelings is when you're digging up a dandelion and you pop the top off and you know that there is still some of that dandelion down in the ground. Okay, I see some people shaking their heads, so they're right where I'm at. And what we don't usually realize is probably three or four weeks later, it's going to produce a new dandelion and maybe even three or four. That's kind of the way our sin is. It's kind of the way persistent sin is. It has a deep root that without the work of the Spirit and the work of this Word, it is impossible to remove on our, in and of ourselves. Pastor Josh talked to us just a few weeks ago in Matthew 15 about the heart work that is not a work that we can do in and of ourselves. We can't just tighten up our bootstraps and do better. No, this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us grow more like Christ and be free from sin. This is out of a humble, dependent heart, a heart like a child, toward our Heavenly Father that we seek holiness by the power of the Spirit and the work of God's Word and the other habits of grace and disciplines that we apply in our lives as Christians. This is the path towards looking more like Jesus 
and less like the world. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 12 when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I don't know about you, but in my life, I have to be transformed by God's Word, communing with my Savior each and every day to deepen my desires and affections for Him and not this world. The more that happens, the more my sin is exposed and dealt with. We saw back in Matthew 6, a healthy body or a healthy eye brings in more light. The light opens our eyes to our sin and the severity of our sin. When we fix our eyes on Jesus as our treasure, the world's riches pale in comparison. We see it as counterfeit. We see it for what it is. We need to continue to root out sin by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit helps us put to death or kill the deeds of the flesh. The Spirit helps us See sin for what it is. He helps us grieve over our sin. He helps us remember the power of the cross that killed sin for us. Amen? We need to allow the Spirit to work in our lives to remind us of the gospel, that we've received forgiveness, and that we can continue to persevere in the good fight of faith. We need to remember that we have died to our old self, and we have been made new because we are in Christ. If we're re rooting out sin in our life by the Word and the Spirit, church, we will live. We've been united in Christ, justified, declared not guilty by faith. Now go, live in freedom. I need this reminder in my own pursuit of holiness. Some of you might be able to relate as a parent of four kids. I lack patience a lot of the times. And my sin and my not dealing with the heart root of sin of selfishness, sin of anger can spill onto my wife and my kids. I need to be transformed and renewed by this word every day. Because what it reminds me of, of the gospel that calls me to selflessness. It's a gospel that calls me to love. It helps me to see Jesus for that model of selflessness and love. That I can live in freedom. I also need you to be seeing that in my life and holding me accountable. See, our pursuit of holiness is not our own. We need each other. And we need to pursue these truths, these promises together. So how do we help each other kill sin? See, verse 7 and 9 emphasizes not only our personal holiness, but the task of avoiding bringing sin or the temptation into sin to another. And I think... Pursuing each other's holiness will help us avoid doing that. First, we need to be in true community 
with others, allowing the opportunity to be transparent with each other, speaking into each other's lives, reminding each other of the deceitfulness of sin and the hardening of one's heart, Hebrews 3 talks about. This type of community provides accountability, encouragement, and caution. So let me ask you, do you have another brother or sister that you can walk with in prayer as we start this new year in 2022, that we can confess sin one to another, that you can trust and be transparent with? See, Satan would want nothing more than to further isolate us and allow sin to root in our lives. We need each other to help fight off sin. This only helps us grow in our own personal holiness if we're helping others be held accountable, if we're modeling holiness. We for sure do not need to add to the world's temptation and sin problem by causing one another to stumble. So let's pursue holiness together. So we humbly receive kingdom citizens like we're receiving the king. We pursue holiness together, both personally and corporately. And thirdly, I want us to see we love one another out of a humble, holy heart. Read with me in verse 10. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If we're living with a childlike humility, fighting for holy lives, the outflow of God's work through us is going to be love in pursuing one another's flourishing. We will not reject or look down on these little ones that seek to be genuine in the faith. When we love others well, we emulate the Father's great love for His children. Verse 10 also talks about the presence of angels and their care for the lives of believers. Based on scriptural evidence, angels provide a general protection over believers, over the genuine little ones. And if God and his angels make it a priority for the little ones to flourish and be loved and protected, how much more, church, should we strive to show that same love and care? Jesus continues to make the point by sharing a parable showing God's great love and pursuit for his sheep, specifically looking at the sheep that have went astray. Aren't you glad that we love and worship a faithful shepherd that pursues us even down to the last one, the one that has went astray? He will never leave one behind. What a great promise to ponder as a child of the king. Specifically, I want to talk to parents, family members that have seen a child or a sibling wander from the faith. 
gone astray. We don't know their hearts. We don't know if what God is doing in their lives. But let me encourage you to not give up, to continue to pursue, to continue to be persistent in prayer. And as a church family, let us rally around those that mourn and struggle with one that have wandered away from the faith. Continue to model Christ's love for those that have fallen away. And all this, remember that the Father's love for the sheep is so much greater than our love for them. And it is His will that no one should perish. Greatness in God's eyes is genuine believers who seek to be faithful in humility, holiness, and love. Greatness as a kingdom citizen is being seen as a child. Church, this call is not an easy task, and it can only be successful if we fix our eyes daily on Jesus and follow his humble example. I don't think there's any better conclusion and summary of this chapter and these verses by reading Philippians 2, verse 3 through 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Grace family, let us be a Philippians 2 type of church. Reflect on these verses as we approach the communion table. If we humble ourselves and see our church family as the way Jesus sees them, we will devote ourselves to authentic discipleship that will pr promote holiness and love. We will be willing to forget self and instead care for the little ones, even those sheep that have went astray. And we'll do all this to the glory of God. I don't know about you, church, but this is a church that I want to be a part of. Let's pray. Father God, it is so good to be in your house, to be able to look into your word about what you are teaching us about greatness, and now to respond to your word, God. To see greatness as you see it, God, would you shape our hearts to be more like yours, to be faithful to what you've called us to as moms, as dads, as husbands and wives, as church members, as community members. God, may we be faithful in humility 
holiness and love. Humble us. God, I ask you would examine our hearts and make right areas of pride. Open our eyes to idols in our lives that might be hindering our walk. We desire to be faithful, God. May we continue to grow in an understanding of greatness as you see it. May we be found faithful, God. God, we look forward to one day seeing you face to face and hearing the words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. May we be reminded of this task this morning. We love you. We worship you. In Christ's name we pray.